1: reach
0: for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
2: You are listening to On the Daily, the RotoViz daily fantasy sports podcast, powered by RotoViz Radio.
3: Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of The Oracle, of the Action Network and RotoViz. Welcome to the February 23rd, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of RotoViz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going?
0: Hey Matt, I'm doing great. Uh, We are now on to kind of the bulk of the NASCAR schedule. We've got that restrictor plate race, Daytona behind us. First mile and a half of the year, first of many, so uh, it's going to be good to get a lot of information this weekend and make sure, you know, pay close attention to practice and things like that, but uh, yeah, I'm excited just because we start going on a tear of, of, of races here. I mean, we do have a weekend.
1: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70 percent off. Dresses from 19.99. Polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
0: Off in the end of uh, end of March, but we got you know pretty much racing from here on out, and it's uh, going to be more normal tracks than you know restrictor plates and road courses uh, these days. So. That'll be good.
3: Yes, we are entering the jungle here. Uh, let, let's get started. Uh, but first, let's sort of look back just a little bit. Uh, this week, we had our first midweek podcast. Uh, I thought it went pretty well. It was good. We're, we're getting warmed up here. But uh, so for everyone who's, uh, you know, kind of newer to the show, uh, be sure to listen to that previous episode because we do a preliminary breakdown of everything about Atlanta, Atlanta, Uh, The track, the stats, the people should be keeping an eye on. Uh, But now that the drivers have one practice under their their belts and they have qualified, uh, we're going to break down the slate in more detail. And by we, I mean Nick. So Nick, qualifying just happened. We're recording this right after qualifying. Uh, What is your instant reaction?
0: Yeah, so I guess my instant reaction to both practice and qualifying um, is that I was, I guess, a little surprised by the Toyota's lack of speed in practice, but then seems like they made up for it a little bit in qualifying. Hard to tell completely. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think the, the really just keep an eye on the manufacturer battle, um, you know, Chevy, Ford, Toyota, what are the different things going on there? So, uh, yeah. And then the other thing, I guess, we'll have to the takeaway is the early takeaway is we're still going to have to worry about inspection issues this year. So I'm sure we'll talk about that more as the show goes on.
3: Yes. So uh, you just mentioned uh, kind of the the difference between the different types of manufacturers. Uh, So Toyota, Chevy, Ford, Uh, Chevy and Ford seem to have a leg up over over Toyota. Uh, Are there any specific teams uh, out of the Chevy and Ford stables that uh, you think we should be paying attention to this weekend?
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting because, um, like I mentioned, in first practice, the Toyotas were a little bit slower maybe than uh, we thought they would be. And then in qualifying, they did place, you know, all of the Joe Gibbs racing cars plus, uh, well, actually all the Joe Gibbs racing cars made the final round of qualifying. So tough to say, um, you know, that the fact that they looked a little, little slower earlier in practice. And even in the first qualifying session, they didn't look as quick. But later in qualifying, they seemed pretty good. So if you look at practice, you know, the Toyotas were sixth. Uh, the first toyota was 6 and that was denny hamlin and Truex in 10th Suarez in 13th uh you know Kyle Busch was way back there in 20th and Eric Jones 22nd but it's tough to say because you got different drivers and different agendas in opening practice are you in qual trim are you in race trim different things like that but certainly in qual trim they seem to be a little bit better uh, as far as the specific teams with the Fords and the Chevys, I thought it was very interesting that, um, you know, a couple of the the Richard Childress affiliates were high up there in practice. So Daryl Wallace Jr. at the third fastest time, Ty Dillon at the fourth fastest time. Um, you know, Ryan Newman was, is, is an RCR car. He was up there in 12th. So they definitely had some, some drivers that were putting up some times. Now, of course, again, we're talking maybe uh, qualifying trim versus race trim. So... Tough to say completely, but uh, I thought that was a little bit surprising. And then, um, you know, I think in terms of the Ford stable, you got to look at Stuart Haas, you got to look at uh, Penske, but Penske did have a mixed bag in qualifying. Uh, And then, uh, I wouldn't say the the Roush team, but definitely Ricky Stenhouse juniors look very strong. And We did talk about him a little bit in the midweek show about how this is a pretty good track for him based off of his results compared to other people in his price range. So wasn't surprised to see him do pretty well. But I think the Stuart Haas cars um, and, and maybe Brad Keselowski might be early look might be, you know, the team and the manufacturer and the cars to beat. Uh,
3: as far as Toyota goes, what do you want or need to see from them? in the final practice on Saturday uh, to be comfortable that they aren't a step behind at Atlanta.
0: So I think what I want to see from the Toyotas, and I actually kind of want to see this from the Hendrick cars as well, because the Hendrick cars weren't super fast. So of course being Jimmy Johnson, uh, Chase Elliott, et cetera, that team right there, I'm not counting Kyle Larson and Jamie McMurray, which are team Ganassi, but they do have you know Hendrick engines. I'm just actually specifically talking about the 400 cars. So them and the Toyotas, uh, obviously I want to see 10 lap averages, uh, be, be very good because as we talked about in the midweek show, both single lap and 10 lap speed are important. How do the tires, um, you know, wear on these, these cars, you know, do the Chevys have an advantage in the long run or maybe they don't so same with the Toyotas. It seemed like the Toyotas got stronger and stronger as qualifying went on and they're on kind of, you know, the same set or similar, uh, tires in different sessions. So, uh, you know, I think the Toyota is getting better as qualifying went on might be an interesting sign for them. So I'd really like to look at those 10 lap averages. That's where we're going to know the most. Uh, and then make sure you actually watch practice if you can, if you know, you're listening to the show, make sure you watch practice because that's where you'll get just as much information as just looking at the timesheet as well. What do they say about the Toyotas? What are the drivers, Toyota drivers that are interviewed say? Uh, what are they saying on Twitter? What are the commentators saying? Things like that. So I want to see good 10-lap averages from the Toyotas to be super comfortable with them not actually being a step behind, and actually also same with the Hendrick Chevys.
3: Okay. Uh, we definitely have more that we're going to get to. Before that, I want to remind you that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, also, now wouldn't be a horrible time to remind you that Nick is going to be doing a sports betting uh, piece at the Action Network that will be coming out uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, somewhere in that arena, uh, looking at the uh, the NASCAR futures for the race and uh, you know making some some sort of advising type of statements. Nick, any uh, anything you want to say about that piece?
0: I'm, I'm excited for that piece. Uh, obviously um, you know, we put it out there in the middle of the week that we'll be doing this and I've had some excited feedback for it. Um, and I'm excited because it'll be a cool way. You know, you mentioned earlier this, this season with, um, for example, the clash, you bet on Blaney because the model liked them, took him again in the 500 and he was arguably the best car in the 500, uh, before that late, 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 late race crash that he got involved in. But, uh, so yeah, we'll be using the model, we'll be using some of the road of his tools and, uh, you know, just obviously general NASCAR knowledge to try to find value in NASCAR betting. So I'm, I'm excited for it.
3: Yeah, I'm excited. Going to uh, burn all my money. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, okay. Qualifying is over, as we mentioned, and the new inspection system, which uh, I think that's like one of the most fascinating stories of uh, the, the NASCAR season. But the new inspection system, it's already gotten someone. Martin Trex, uh, he failed to pass inspection. And so he is starting second to last in the 36-car field. Uh, so for cash games, that makes him basically an automatic start. What do you think that means for him in GPPs?
0: Yeah, this is this is super interesting because, A, you've got Truex back there in 35th. B, I talked earlier in the week about how he might be one of the cars to maybe avoid a little bit in terms of, you know, his Atlanta track history isn't the super strongest. And we really do pay attention to track history and then you also throw in his price tag, where, of course, he's priced the highest on DraftKings. And, and, you know, I thought maybe he wouldn't quite return value if he qualified in some somewhat of like a normal position. Um, but obviously with the inspection issues there, he's also going to lose his car chief. Uh, I haven't heard about if you'll lose Cole Pern as crew chief, because if you fail three times, your car chief gets kicked out for the weekend. If you fail four times, your crew chief gets kicked out for the weekend, and you lose 10 points in the NASCAR standings. I know he failed three times. I didn't, haven't heard yet if he failed four. There was some confusion during uh, qualifying and all that, and I haven't checked the update. But uh, either way, he'll be starting 35th. He'll be at least missing his car chief, if not also his crew chief. Uh, not his best mile-and-a-half track, but still, obviously, he's very good at all the mile-and-a-halves, and track history is important here. And the highest-priced driver by $300 over Kevin Harvick, that said, he is Martin Truex Jr. starting dead last, the reigning NASCAR champion. You have to play a lot of them. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to – the amount you're going to play Martin Truex Jr. is basically the DNF rate of Atlanta, but probably subtract some of that off as well because it's very unlikely that Martin Truex Jr. will have the same DNF rate as the backmarkers who bring that average up, So, uh, or, or some of the drivers, like, you know, just more susceptible to crashing Ricky Stenhouse Jr. types. So – I think you're probably going to want to play Truex Jr. at least 75, 80% if you're multi entering in GPPs. Uh, obviously, if you want to be a little uh, exploitative, I do think he will in the high stakes GPPs. He'll go at least that highly owned. If you want to be a little exploitative, you can go 70, 65% on him. But I really, really do think uh, that is is risky to only go 65, 70% on Truex. You know, the the DNF rate Atlanta the past few years has been a lot lower because of the old tires. The cars are already, you know, they're, NASCAR taking more downforce off of the cars. So drivers have really been tiptoeing it through Atlanta. So you should have a lot of Martin Truex Jr. this weekend, even though it's not his best track. It's just uh, it's a very, very good situation for for Truex, just because it's such a you know, he he's not a high DNF driver and it's a low DNF track as well. So not worried about all these other things with the crew chief, car chief, whatever may be going on there. Um a little concerned about the price. You know, if he only comes up and finishes 13th, is he gonna be worth it? So, you know, maybe 70, 75 percent, 80% range sounds pretty good to me.
3: All right, so Truex was a guy that we talked about on the midweek episode. Uh, We also talked about some other drivers, uh, some potential fade candidates, and I'd like to talk about them now. Kyle Larson, let's start with him. Uh, He had the second quickest lap in opening practice, and then uh, he showed good speed throughout qualifying. Is he less of a fade candidate now than you thought he might be earlier in the week?
0: Um, I would say yes and no, obviously he showed a lot of speed in practice and he was right up there in the top three or five or so in, in the qualifying sessions until the last qualifying session. Now he starts eighth. So that eighth spot is a tricky spot for Larson because it's not guaranteed to be like a dominator. He does have to come through some very good cars that are in front of him, like Keselowski, Harvick, Kyle Busch, et cetera, good drivers and good cars. Um, so, you know, it is. Definitely a spot that is going to be tough to play him, but he has shown more speed. Obviously can, can't can totally make judgment until we see final practice, but if he's showing just blazing speed in final practice, short and long run, you probably need to consider him because eighth still has some place differential potential, but uh, eighth is a, kind of a yucky spot, so you don't have to go crazy on Kyle Larson. Um, I almost prefer that he shows like really fast single lap speed and kind of falls off in the 10-lap average, and some people look at the single-lap speeds and use him. But uh, we'll have to see. I was going to say yes when I wrote this question up, and then I was kind of writing it up as uh, qualifying was going on. And then he ended up qualifying eighth instead of, like, third. Would have been more inclined to play him if he qualified third or, you know, in those first two rows where he had a, a little bit better chance of being a dominator. But right now, starting in eighth, you know, priced up there at uh, $10,000 as the third highest-priced driver, not exactly in love with that situation. So, I wanted to say yes, but then he ended up qualifying eighths, so and I'm kind of on the fence with Kyle Larson, um, probably leaning towards more of like a, a fade candidate for me just based off of starting position and the fact that he's probably unlikely to be a dominator.
3: Interesting. Well, someone who maybe could be a dominator, Kyle Bush, starting on the poll, uh, but he practiced only 20th. Uh, and then he made it into the, uh, the final round of qualifying after posting the 12th best speed in the first round and then the 6th best speed in the second round. Um, what is your take on him as a DFS play before we see him practice on Saturday?
0: Yeah, another really interesting situation here because, uh, like I mentioned with the Toyotas, they didn't look that great in practice, you know, in terms of single lap speed. Uh, if you look at, um, you know, did to- any of the Toyotas run 10-lap averages – in opening practice, there are only six cars that ran 10-lap averages, and Denny Hamlin did post the fastest 10-lap time. So maybe a good sign there, but kind of have to reserve judgment. But the Toyotas did seem to be okay as the car got more and more tire wear. You know, the, the Kyle Busch's qualifying times relative to the field went got better from you know, session one to session two to session three in qualifying. So did some of the other Toyotas. So they may be good on the long run, and if that's the case, I definitely don't mind playing Kyle Busch quite a bit. Uh, if he's going to have a very good long run car, um, if 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 it doesn't end up being the case with the Toyotas showing good long run speed, then I think Kyle Busch is actually an interesting fade candidate with Harvick starting right up there in the top two rows and Brad Keselowski starting fifth as well. I will say though, uh, another driver we're going to talk about, Ryan Newman, is starting on the outside pole. That should be a little favorable for Kyle Busch to get the early lead. I do like him to get the jump on Newman to, to start the race there. So um, you can't completely fade Kyle Busch if you're multi-entering. But, um, you know, depending on how final practice goes, he could actually be an interesting fade candidate. But I think ultimately if the Toyotas do end up showing a lot of t- uh, long run speed, which I'm kind of leaning towards that's what they will do, then I, I think it'll be hard to fade Kyle Busch. So uh, it really hinges on that final practice for me for, for Kyle Busch.
3: All right. Well, you mentioned there Ryan Newman and Kevin Harvick starting second and third. Uh, They are two of the five drivers uh, that you mentioned in the midweek episode as guys that we should keep an eye on. Uh, In that group, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Joey Logano starting further back. You have Kurt Busch, who is starting, I believe, seventh. Uh, What are your thoughts on those guys now that we've seen them practice and qualify?
0: Yeah. So um, this is really interesting. Obviously, Obviously, Newman qualifying second was a big surprise. He had been you know, kind of around eighth or 10th or 12th on the speed chart in practice. And then in each of the first couple qualifying sessions, and then the final session, he just put down a lap and was on the pole for a little bit until Kyle Bush bumped him off. So very interesting, but I think it's tough for Newman. I don't think he has a ton of dominator potential. Uh, You look at, you know, you look at how many laps he's led In the past eight Atlanta races, and it's only 0.3% of the laps on average with 1.5% fastest laps. You don't see enough dominance from Newman, um, even though he is very good at Atlanta. So that's a problem because it's unlikely he'll be a dominator. Now, if he does end up somehow leading a chunk of this race, I mean, then you're getting a driver who is sitting down there at $6,900 who would potentially lead laps, uh, pick up some fastest laps. I will have exposure to Ryan Newman. He actually could end up going under-owned, possibly. And if that's the case, then I will want Ryan Newman. Um, I'm not sure the model will be uh, super the, – the ownership model will be super accurate with Newman because we really haven't had a situation where a driver who's priced $6,900 is on the outside pole, um, especially at a track that's very good for him. So uh, you know, it could be one of those high-uncertainty situations. But uh, if people decide they're fading Newman because – you know, he's not likely to be the dominator, and, and Kyle Bush is, and, and Kevin Harvick is. I don't hate being a tiny bit overweight on him, but I wouldn't go above 15, 20%, something like that, if he's gonna be 10% owned. But, uh, you know, I think he could be a little bit of a surprise, especially that $6,900 price tag is so appealing. The problem is he's so much more likely to go backward than forward that uh, he should be a low owned play. But, it, you know, depending on where his ownership falls, I don't mind being a little exploitative. If it turns out the model thinks he's gonna be higher owned, then I like being underweight on Ryan Newman. Um, as far as Kevin Harvick, uh, still a strong, strong, strong player for me. Looked good um, in qualifying, obviously. Uh, so no problem there uh, for Kevin Harvick. And you know should be one of the, the contenders to win the race. Uh, Kurt Busch, pretty interesting. He, he showed well in qualifying. His practice time was only 21st. So I, I'm going to want to see more from him in, in, you know obviously, final practice. It's tough, like we said, to make a gauge based off of opening practice. But he did put the car 7th. Um, he would be an interesting candidate, maybe another low owned play, uh, to, to possibly sneak out, you know, a win if things played out right or a top three or five finish. And that could get him into the winning lineup at only $8,200. So definitely don't write off Kurt Busch. Joey Logano is the name that I think is the most interesting here, uh, of the five that we talked about. Um, Joey Logano qualified 16th, which is you know, pretty good. There's a lot of place differential potential there, but there's a lot of bigger names that qualified behind him. Jimmy Johnson uh in 22nd, Chase Elliott, 27th, Ryan Blaney, 26th. Those guys are going to absorb the bulk of the ownership in this higher tier, leaving Joey Logano maybe a little bit lower owned, especially, you know, people seeing what happened last year with Logano. Uh, I like him a lot as a GBP play. Uh especially if, you know, if if the Fords do end up being one of the better cars here this weekend, bigger manufacturers. Um, obviously in the early going, they look like they could be the manufacturer to beat. Jerry Logano did practice ninth in opening practice, but uh, again, tough to, to say there, but if he shows well in final practice, definitely he's a guy I want to be overweight on.
3: All right. So I have a couple, you know, Friedman special follow-up questions. Uh, one has to do with Harvick. And uh, so given that he's starting third and then given his track history, And then given that uh, practice historically for him kind of has meant almost nothing, like, what does practice mean for Harvick tomorrow? Like, if he goes out there and he's just not good, does that mean anything to you?
0: Yeah, so when you say not good, I assume you mean in, like, terms of, like, times, right? Yeah. Yeah, because obviously, like you mentioned, we've seen Harvick sometimes. He looks not good on the practice times and ends up being, like, the dominant car. Uh, Well, that's because you know, Harvick is a guy that really likes to just be comfortable. Um, he doesn't have to have the the fastest car in a single lap. He just wants to be comfortable. If you look last year, for example, at his practice times, 27th in the single lap average, you know, way down there in the 10 lap average. Uh, and then, you know, uh, obviously Harvick's been so good over the last couple of years that, like you mentioned, the practice times aren't necessarily indicative of how he will race. Um, he finished ninth, in in the race. He started first. um, He led 292 laps, was the dominant car, despite looking terrible in practice. And uh, it's funny because the model shows that practice is very important, but Harvick is one of those guys that seems to buck the trend. I would still be pretty confident in Harvick if he practiced, you know, in the mid-teens or whatever, as long as he said he was very happy with his car. It's really important with Harvick to understand the talk around his car, uh, around, you know, how he feels about how his car is handling in practice and so forth.
3: Interesting. Uh, Another follow-up question. This one has to do with Newman. So you mentioned that previously at Atlanta, he has raced well, but uh, he has dominated almost not at all. Uh, What I'm wondering is if you could give some more context to that. Um, For instance, has he been starting really far back in the field? And he's, you know, as you mentioned, like he's raced well, but he hasn't really been in a situation where you would have expected him to be able to dominate And now that he's starting second, is it possible that we could see more domination given how he's driven in the past?
0: Yeah, that's that's actually um, a very good question. So I pulled up Ryan Newman's average starting position at Atlanta the last three years, and and his average starting position is 4.3. So this shouldn't be a surprise that he's starting this far forward. The problem is, he hasn't really dominated. So, um, you know, 0.3% laps led, and on average over the past three Atlanta races, despite starting 4.3 average, only 1% of fastest laps, his average DraftKings points, only 4.25. Now, a lot of that is because of some really bad luck at the end of races, obviously, you know, crashing out, uh, having tire problems, things that really weren't his fault, um, which all kind of came down to the end of the race. But his average running position, is 9.3. So let's say, you know, obviously some of that is, is maybe skewed a touch by the late race crashes, but let's say he's an average runner of eighth, the past three Atlanta races. And now he's qualified second. Um, you know, it's going to be tough for him to acquire a lot of points. So, uh, I would, I I would hope that Ryan Newman would go very low owned. And then I might be a little exploitative on him, 10, 15%, but if he's going to be 10, 15% owned, then I probably just want to have nothing to do with him. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it really comes down to what the model thinks with ownership with him. But in the end, I think there's so much uncertainty around his ownership that we should probably just expect him to be kind of highly owned and uh, I would think end up not using him. I wouldn't say like highly owned, but like higher owned than he should be just because there's some uncertainty. So there's a, a good chance that he goes higher owned than he should be. So more than likely, I guess, now that we kind of talk through it, Ryan Newman probably ends up as a pretty good fade candidate starting there in second. Um, if somehow, though, he were to be – three percent owned five percent owned I don't mind 10 percent of them like I said
3: yeah I mean that's really intriguing though so the like the historical lack of domination it has nothing to do with where he started we would have expected some guys starting you know between fourth and fifth to to have some dominance mm-hmm. uh, so that that's pretty bad and, and there's I mean a, a guy starting second let's just think about so two things one I would say historically the guy who starts second, probably still has some decent ownership as, you know, like a a potential dominator. And then just coming off of last year where we had so many drivers, you know, the guys starting first and starting second, both of those guys historically uh, were having good races in comparison to what we had previously seen in other seasons. So maybe even just kind of like from people who, you know, were getting into NASCAR last year, uh, you know, some of them might just be tempted to go with, you know, the first driver and the second driver or as Newman as an alternate to Bush just because they think that it's what they should do.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, if we replay this race a thousand times over, I'm sure there's some times where Newman might get the early lead on the on the opening start or or overtake Kyle Bush with a little bit better car or, you know, take the lead through strategy or something and get some, some laps led and then pull off a top three or five finish. There's definitely those possibilities. What is the probability of that though? I mean, if we run it a thousand times, is it 35 times, you know, three and a half percent? Is it, is it 40? Is it a hundred? Who knows? So, uh, but I do suspect you're right that Newman will pull a bit more ownership percentage than the actual probability of him being in the winning lineup is. So, um, you know, kind of talking through it, probably a fade candidate.
3: All right, so uh, other drivers we haven't talked about yet. Uh, any of them stand out either uh, you know, from overperforming or maybe from disappointing?
0: Yeah, so actually there was one other driver I forgot to mention in terms of the Quintetto guys we singled out earlier in the week, and that was Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he's priced down at $8,800 on DraftKings. Obviously, we didn't have prices when we did the pod earlier in the week. Um, so that puts him as the ninth highest priced driver. He's $1,600 cheaper than Truex um, you know, $1,300 cheaper than Kevin Harvick. And historically, Atlanta's been a very good track for him. Um, you know, obviously, his win a couple years ago, two years ago, came on strategy, but he still had a you know very good uh, car and, um, you know, obviously is one of the best crew chiefs in the business. But you still have to have a good car to give yourself a chance to be out in front in these races. Um, so, you know, Jimmy Johnson started 19th at that race. This time, he starts, uh, I said, was it either 21st or 22nd? I need to pull up my starting positions here. 22nd. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we could see something similar again with Jimmy Johnson where he starts 22nd, makes his way forward because this is such a good track for him, and pulls off a strategy win. So he should get some ownership percentage. But – as we talked about that, Hendrick Stable has been a little bit disappointing so far this weekend. So uh it 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 definitely is a situation to keep an eye on. I'm pulling up Jimmy Johnson's practice times from the, his win in 2016. So in final practice, he was third quickest in the single lap and third quickest in the 10 laps. So that's probably what we're gonna want to see from Johnson this time if we think he has a shot at winning the race. You know, he had one of the better cars, which gave himself the chance to be in position to get a strategy win. That's what I think we're going to want to see from Johnson on Saturday in practice. So, um, so far, I would say he's actually been a little bit of a disappointment. Um, Some surprises, like I said, I thought uh, just the Stuart Haas racing stable in general, very surprising uh, in a good way. All all four cars inside the top 11 in qualifying. And Almirola didn't even actually make a final qualifying lap uh, in the final session. He and Denny Hamlin chose not to go out on track. So they start 11th and 12th, respectively, Almirola and Hamlin. Um, but uh, all four cars up there, so that's very interesting. Um, you know, Obviously, Eric Almirola uh, with a new team here. He is priced up at $7,800, so he is um, obviously getting the the bump from DraftKings just by being on this new team as well. But he is the cheapest price of the drivers. Clint Boyer's teammate, 8100 Kurt Busch, 8200 and then we talked about Kevin Harvick. So uh, very good performance from all of the Stuart Haas racing uh, stable you know, team there. Um, I think, uh, a couple other names that, that have been maybe a little bit disappointing, obviously just the whole Hendricks stable. Um, and then, uh, Ryan Blaney, I think has been a bit of a disappointing name. Now, obviously you do want to play him if he's starting that far back, but, uh, he could be an interesting driver to go underweight on in GPPs if he doesn't show enough speed here. Uh, if we look at Blaney's history here at Atlanta, um, average, you know, Average finish twenty one point five, average start eighteen and a half, average running position eighteen and a half. Not his greatest track, so uh, you know even though he's starting very far back, he could be an interesting candidate to go a little underweight because he probably will draw a lot of ownership. So some good, some good surprises, like I said, with the the uh, the the um, Eric Almirola there, Clint Boyer, uh, you know that whole Stuart Haas Racing crew. And then a little bit of disappointment there with Ryan Blaney, um, and we shouldn't actually be surprised by that. But I think it's important for DFS because he could draw some some ownership percentage just because he has Blaney and a Penske starting way back there. Uh, another disappointing performance is your Daytona 500 winner, Austin Dillon, 25th in qualifying, didn't show a lot of speed in opening practice as well. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a tough race for Austin Dillon, possibly.
2: Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited.
3: Okay, let's talk about dominators. Uh who are your top candidates to dominate the race uh with the caveat that we haven't had final practice yet.
0: Yeah, I still think my number 1 candidate is Kevin Harvick. Uh even though he's starting 3rd and not 1st, he had the fastest car in the earlier prac in the earlier qualifying sessions um but then obviously the final qualifying session Kyle Busch and, and Newman got him but I still think he's going to be the driver to beat there. Uh, The most dominant performances in the past three years at Atlanta have come from Kevin Harvick average over the last three Atlanta races of 55% of the laps led. I mean, he's, he's led over half of the laps at Atlanta. We've run the past three years. So I still think it has to be Kevin Harvick. Number two candidate would be Kyle Busch just starting on the poll there. And I think Brad Keselowski would be my number three dominator candidate has shown a lot of speed this weekend. uh, And I think, Brad Keselowski, you know, up there in fifth qualifying position is very good. And, um, you know, he's had some good Atlanta history as well, won last year. So I think those are my top three dominator candidates.
3: I have a question thinking about Harvick versus Bush, uh, especially on these mile and a half uh, quad ovals. How how fast normally can someone get by the leader? How many laps does that normally
0: take? Um, It depends on the on the track, on the tire wear on the handling of the cars, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Harvick maybe catch Kyle Bush after, uh, anywhere between eight and 20 laps. Um, you know, obviously with the tire wear here, it could be even quicker at a track like Atlanta than maybe at a track like, uh, Charlotte, which has new, a relatively newer surface. Um, and it's, and a lot more aero dependent. And when you have a lot more aero dependency, then it becomes a lot harder to pass as well. So, little easier at Atlanta. I wouldn't be surprised to see Harvick take over the lead six, eight laps uh, or even – as soon as six to eight laps or as late as maybe like 20, 25, 30 laps, depending on the difference between Bush's and his cars. Uh, that's assuming he actually does have the best car there versus you know, Kyle Busch. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so other drivers uh, above 8,500, who do you like?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it Chase Elliott, you have to like him given the fact that uh you know, he qualified back there in twenty seventh. Even with Hendrick's struggles, we know Chase Elliott is gonna come through the field. Uh it's he's just a, a much better driver than that. You know, his Atlanta driver rating over the past three Atlanta races, one oh five point two, average running position of seven, uh, average finish of six and a half. So that's very good. And he historically hasn't started that well, Atlanta. An average starting position of 17 and a half. This is his home track. So kind of fitting the trends that we saw from him in the past. I think Chase Elliott, very, very good play starting in 27th position. Uh, I mentioned Jimmy Johnson. I like him a lot. Joey Logano, uh, of course, I mentioned at $9,000. I love being overweight on him in GPPs. And then I certainly think Kyle Bush, Brad Keselowski, as we talked about with the exposure there for Dominators. Uh, and then obviously Truex, um, who's at 10,400 qualifying back in 35th. Eric Jones is a name that I think is interesting that we should talk a little bit about. Uh, he did end up 10th in final uh, in the starting lineup, I should say. Uh, so he starts 10th. And uh, I think if the Toyota show a lot of good long run speed, Eric Jones could go under owned and pull off a top five finish here at Atlanta. Eighty six hundred dollars right above that eighty five hundred dollar cutoff there. Uh, So, you know, could go under owned and um, not obviously not a cash game play. But in GPPs, I don't mind being overweight on Eric Jones if the Toyotas do show good long run speed in final practice.
3: All right, so the drivers, let's say between 7000 and 8500 the mid-priced range. Uh, any
0: thoughts on those drivers, either for cash games or GPPs? Yeah, well, at the top of that list there is Ryan Blaney, 8,400. I I like the starting position, as I talked about, but I think he'll go over-owned. So I don't mind being a little bit underweight on him if he does go under-owned. We'll have to see what the model says, though, uh, in terms of his projected ownership percentage. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him go pretty highly owned. Uh, If you kind of go down the list a little bit further, Kurt Busch starts seventh. So that's a little tough to use him, even though the whole team has looked good. And this is a very good track for Kurt Busch. He should draw some ownership percentage because of his track history, so I don't mind being underweight on him. Boyer tough to, you know, tough to use him starting in ninth. Uh, Bowman is a name that I guess could be a little bit interesting. We don't have a lot of certainty around him with Atlanta. Obviously, his his Atlanta races in the past came with a much, much, much more underfunded team, so tough to say with him. But I think he's a driver we'll want to keep an eye on in practice. If he does show very well in practice. 18th starting position isn't that bad and he probably will be very low owned. So, um, I don't hate that play there. Almarola in 11th will probably draw some ownership percentage, especially after uh, the events of this past weekend where he's showed he had a very good car and, and Stuart Haas racing has been very good this weekend. So, uh, this whole range is, is, is kind of like, eh, eh, eh. But, uh, you know, I, I do think there are, I guess, some drivers you could play a little bit of here and there. Like I said, with, um, you know, with, with uh, Kurt Busch uh, and maybe a bit of Al Marola, but, uh, and then Alex Bowman, of course. But this whole range is just kind of a little bit weird. Um, I'm mostly avoiding him. I mean, you look at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. there, $7,200. Uh, he starts in the sixth position. It's a good track for him, but that's also probably why he qualified so well. So tough to play Stenhouse. And then the other two names at the lower portion of the $7,000 range, Austin Dillon and William Byron, um, are actually kind of interesting. Dylan starts 25th, but he's been so poor so far at this, uh, this weekend. And William Byron is, uh, obviously a rookie. So some uncertainty around him should draw lower ownership just because again, um, we've got these Jimmy Johnson's, we've got these uh, Blaney's and Elliots. So William Byron, I don't mind in a GPP given the uncertainty around his performance, just because we don't really know his Atlanta performance in a cup car.
3: Okay, let's look at some of these uh, kind of value drivers, uh, 6000 to 7000 Anyone who's caught your eye there?
0: Um, you know, I think uh, I think the driver kind of starting a little bit further back here, A.J. Allmendinger, in 21st, could be okay just because he has $6,000. You know, if he moves forward to top 15 or something like that, that's definitely a good thing. So, uh, you know, A.J. Allmendinger showed some speed in opening practice. He and his teammate Chris Busher were inside the top 20, um, and then also that was kind of, you know, early on, his first lap out. So, uh, you know, a lot of cars put qualifying trim on later in the session and, and, and passed him. So there could be some hidden speed in that car there for, for Um So I don't mind playing him. Obviously, we talked about Newman at 6900. Uh, Menard, not a terrible play at 6,800. He starts 15th, but, uh, don't love his track history here. So probably a fade for me given the fact that, uh, you know, I just think there are better plays. Ty Dillon is a name I think we should be using starting in 28th. Showed a lot of speed as I talked about in opening practice with the fourth fastest time and the other affiliate Darrell Walls Jr. Showing the third fastest time. Like I said, maybe these RCR cars, you know, with Newman doing something as well, these RCR cars and affiliates, uh, have, have a bit of speed. So, um, I like Ty Dillon in this range. He's going to be a driver that I think should go highly owned, uh, just because he's probably the best play in this $6,000 range.
3: Okay. Finally, everyone's favorite part of the show, the Joe dirt cheap drivers you like. And if you say Harrison Rhodes, I'm going to throw up.
0: Uh, yeah, that, well, It'll be interesting to see what what's up with Harrison Rhodes in final practice, um just because if he actually shows any kind of speed, I guess you can't really ignore him but he didn't <laughs> he didn't make up a, a lap in uh opening practice he didn't make a lap in qualifying, so don't really know what's up there but uh yeah, probably not would be my guess, given the fact that they're not really making laps but um no i I think uh Cole Witt is a name maybe we could keep an eye on um. I, I didn't show very well in opening practice, was super slow, but uh they only ran six laps, so we'll have to see. If he is that slow in practice, obviously don't play him, but uh he is starting 32nd. Um whereas you know, a guy like David Reagan is starting 29th. But really I just want to play the best drivers in this joker cheap range. And for me, that's David Reagan and Matt Benedetto. They're priced $5,600 and 5, Um, I also like Chris Busher just because he is fifty nine hundred dollars and technically falls in this range starts 24th, easily the best car of this range and the best value. So Chris Buescher, I really don't count him as a Joe Dirt cheap, just like mentally, but he does technically fall in the price range of a Joe Dirt cheap. So he's the best play. But then after that, it would be Reagan and De Benedetto. Uh, McDowell is also very interesting just because he starts 17th, but I think that's too far forward for him.
3: Okay. Uh, final question here, roster construction. Uh, there are some good drivers, some expensive drivers who qualified poorly. Uh, so does that, uh, in terms of roster construction mean that you are probably looking for more of a stars and scrubs approach, or, uh, do you think there's still value in having more of a balanced lineup this weekend?
0: Um, you know, I think stars and scrubs would be pretty popular, you know, a true a Harvick, a Kyle Bush type lineup, uh, and then grab some cheaper guys, um, you know, grab grab a, a Ty Dillon or whatever, these different things. But there will be some people that gravitate towards, you know, like Truex, one of the dominators, whether it's Harvick or Kyle Busch or Keselowski, uh, and then drivers like Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott there in that 9K range um, because they are starting so far back. So that is still kind of a Starzy, scrubzy approach, but it does let you get more in like the 6K range instead of having to drop down into maybe two drivers six under $6,500. You probably – or I should say under six thousand dollars, you can probably get away with, um, you know, one driver under six thousand dollars using that approach. Um, if you do use, you know, you do use multi-enter, I should say, and use twenty percent of your lineups or whatever it is without Truex, then it becomes a little bit easier to go with a balanced approach and you know, getting guys like Joey Logano in there at nine thousand um, dollars, getting some of the value plays in that mid-tier range, like I mentioned, William Byron being a contrarian play. So I think there is some contrarian value. To going with a balanced lineup, and there is even contrarian value to going with a more balanced lineup. If you do like Truex and Keselowski or something, or Truex and Harvick, uh, you can still use Truex and get kind of a balanced approach. Um, you will need to dip down to probably one Joe Dirt cheap driver, maybe a guy like Chris Busher, but then you can still grab your William Byron's or Joey Logano's that I've talked about. You can grab um, some of these other guys in this mid-tier range that will go under-owned. So I think this, because of the way qualifying went, there is a stars and scrubs approach that will um, probably be the preferred way. And, and when, like I say, when I say stars and scrubs, I still think you can get a guy like Ty Dillon, who you know, obviously a scrub at $6,500 and a, uh, pretty good car relative to the Joe Dirt guys, but, um, I do think it means you will probably have to drop down for at least one Joe Dirt driver if you, if you take that approach. So, um, I do think there, that probably is the preferred construction. Most people will have this weekend is a Joe Dirt, a 6k driver, and then four drivers on the more expensive side, you know, above average pricing. But, uh, I can, I can definitely see some contrarian value to a, a little bit more of a balanced approach.
3: Okay. <clears throat> so we're recording this on Friday the race uh, starts at Sunday 2 p.m eastern so uh, Nick from now to the race what is the plan of coverage
0: yeah um so I've got all the data in here inputted or input I don't know what the correct verbiage for that is but um then uh obviously practice and need we'll need to get the practice data and after practice, as usual, I'll go into full on NASCAR mode. I'll get the article out. The apps will be updated. You know, the splits app now that we'll have practice times and qualifying um, practice places and qualifying places. The splits app will become very important. Uh, we'll have um, my NASCAR article out probably within a couple hours after final practice. Usually takes a little time to write it and, and do the picks and run the model and run the ownership model and, and all that. So a few hours after, after um, final practice, that'll be ready. And then... Uh, I will um, take a little bit of a break and then get to writing the betting article in the evening. Um, submit that to Action Network, you guys there, and uh, you'll run it when whenever, uh, I guess, it's ready. So the betting article will be out, like you said, either Saturday night or Sunday morning. And then Road of His Live will be Sunday a.m. And thank you guys for that feedback. Uh, we talked earlier in the week on the podcast, should we do Road of His Live two hours or three hours before lineup lock? The vast, vast, vast majority of you preferred three hours before lineup lock. So that will be – at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Rotovis Live uh, on my, my Twitch page there.
3: All right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On The Daily. For Nick Kiffin on Twitter, at RotoDoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in.